Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Griffin Strom, who is back. He survived his trip to Costa Rica and is back for this week's episode. Griffin, how was your trip? Oh, it was amazing. It, it wasn't enough time to truly appreciate all the intricacies and different things to explore in Costa Rica, but we got to see all types of animals, sloths, crazy huge spiders. I didn't really enjoy seeing those, but <laughs> all types of really cool beaches and hiking and kind of the jungle, a little, everything like that. It, it, was, it was serene. It was picturesque. It was relaxing and it flew right by, of course, which it always does when you're on a trip like that. But hey, I'm, I'm happy to be back. I, I'm glad I survived the trip. Like you said, uh, getting a COVID test in a different country. That was my first time experiencing that the whole thing. And But hey, I'm, I'm back now. I'm glad the podcast survived without me for a week. I, I was uncertain if it would, but I'm pretty sure Garrick Hodge held it down there for you guys uh, last week. But I'm back and ready to talk some Buckeye football and basketball here. Vacation always goes by too fast, but we are glad to have you back on the show this week. And so exciting news uh, that came out on Tuesday that Ohio State versus Notre Dame will be a night game, 7.30 p.m. ABC. And I think that I feel like that news comes at a good time. So I feel like we're in that like heart of the offseason now where spring ball is over, basketball season's over, the rosters are set. Like there's not really a whole lot happening in Ohio State sports at the moment. You've got some Olympic sports that are going. Men's tennis going to be competing for a national championship this weekend. You got a few other sports that are still going. But for the most part, things have kind of wrapped up until you know we get into fall camp. And so I feel like when we get news like this, it's like, all right, like now we can start getting excited for the season again. Like you, you start hearing about these game times dropping, you know, you, you start to feel like, okay, the buildup to the season is beginning. We're getting closer to that point. And I think this game in particular, I remember talking before last season started about how last year's season opener would be the most compelling season opener in some time. But this is on another level. I mean, we're talking about, Two top 10 teams, Ohio State and Notre Dame, two two teams that are pretty close by geographically, but they don't play each other a lot. And now the fact that it's going to be under the lights, big primetime game, ABC, college game day in attendance, it just starts building up the excitement that much more for that first weekend of September. And if you, yeah, if you needed any reminder of just how excited uh, this has a lot of people, I mean, just on Twitter today alone, a bunch of Ohio State players were quote tweeting our uh, the Eleven Warriors article that Dan wrote, and, and they seem very excited. Lots of fans, of course, as well. For us, so usually in terms of what we do, we we tend to prefer those noon games just because then we're not up quite as late at night. But I think for this one and the fact that it's a season opener, we're not in the the middle of the slog of the season. I think. It actually helps kind of build the excitement and the hype for this first game. And, and for us, too, from just the, the perspective of being in, the, in that atmosphere and kind of taking in everything for a high-profile matchup like this, it'll only set the, the the stage and the stakes even higher. Yeah, this game should be a night game. This game deserves to be a night game. It always felt like it should be a night game. I mean, again, you got two of the marquee programs in the sport that have so much history in Ohio State and, and Notre Dame going head-to-head. Again, it's going to be a top 10 match, but there's so many storylines in this game. I mean, you just think of Marcus Freeman starting his first full season as Notre Dame's head coach, coming back to his alma mater to coach against Ohio State. James Laurinaitis also coming back to Ohio State. Al Washington also coming back to Ohio State. An intriguing 
coaching matchup in general because you've got these two kind of younger rising up and coming head coaches in Ryan Day. It's probably not really fair to say Ryan Day's up and coming anymore, but still the point that these are both the younger head coaches who both have a lot of momentum behind them right now. And then you've got this almost brand new defensive coaching staff for Ohio State. It's going to be our first time seeing Jim Knowles' defense in action going up against a Notre Dame team that's got almost an entirely new coaching staff. They're going to have a new quarterback, whether that ends up being Tyler Buckner or Drew Pine. That competition is still ongoing there, but either way, it's going to be a new quarterback for Notre Dame. So I think on both sides of this game, there's going to be so much intrigue from both fan bases going into it. And it just makes for a really exciting season opener. Dan, I'm not necessarily anticipating inflammatory remarks per se on the half of the specifically the Notre Dame coaching staff because of obviously all the connections. But if nothing interesting comes out of those press conferences leading up to the game with those coaches, with all the Ohio State connections, especially Al Washington basically getting fired this past season and James Laurinaitis and the, the rumors of him kind of reaching out to see what may have been available at Ohio State to join the program, all, all those storylines in there. Obviously, the Marcus Freeman open letter that we already saw this past year when he got the, the Notre Dame uh, head coaching gig. If, if nothing interesting comes out of those press conferences in terms of heating up the, the hype for, for that game and, and everything like that, I think hell will freeze over at that point, Dan. Yeah, I was going to say that I don't think really anything even truly inflammatory has to be said for fans to turn it into that. Because, I mean, like you mentioned, that whole Marcus Freeman letter where he didn't really say anything all that inflammatory. But yet, I know our stories on that got a lot of comments. So, I mean, I remember when he was on NBC, I don't remember what it was. And I tweeted out the quote he said about basically how, you know, Notre Dame was recruiting. And he, he basically kind of said no, Notre Dame was kind of a gold standard compared to other schools. And Ohio State fans reacted to that. So, I have no doubt that he will say something in the lead up to that game that whether it's intended in an inflammatory way or not is going to get Ohio State fans riled up and it'll probably go the other way too. So yeah, I think the build up to that game is going to be something. I mean, it kind of goes back to what you're talking about with vacation. Don't want to wish the summer away. Like we're not even, we haven't even officially started summer yet. Like I want to enjoy my summer, but at the same time, I'm definitely uh, going to be excited for September free to get here. Yeah, and you kind of noted here though, about this matchup coming up. It's not great news if you look at Ohio State's kind of recent track record in these kinds of games, meaning the non-conference Power 5 home night games. You wrote them down here, Dan. I'll go ahead and list them. The 2017 Oklahoma game, I think people will remember that one. Of course, the 2014 Virginia Tech game, the only game Ohio State lost on its way to an undisputed national championship that year. 2009 against USC, 2005 against Texas. And you wrote the, the, the last home Night non-conference win against a Power 5 opponent came against Washington all the way back in 2003. And then like even last year, Ohio State's track record in some of these early season non-conference Power 5 matchups in general, especially against you know very high-profile opponents, have been a little bit tricky for them, even, even in last year in a non-night game, but still kind of the kind of a reason why I always kind of, for, from the Ohio State perspective, am a little uneasy about some of these you know early matchups, just seeing how they've performed in them over the years. Yeah, that's a good point because, yeah, the recent track record of home night non-conference games is certainly not good for Ohio State. But I don't. I think if you're reading into that of, oh, Ohio State 
playing at night makes it more likely that Ohio State's going to lose this game, I think you'd be reading into it too much. Because like you said, uh, we saw the Oregon game last year that was played at noon and Ohio State lost that game. And so it's an interesting storyline. It's kind of some demons for Ohio State to exercise in a, a home night game and maybe not a trend that you like hearing about if you're an Ohio State fan right now. Realistically, is that going to have any kind of negative effect on Ohio State? Uh, I, I would not think so. It's interesting that it, well, that it will be the first time since 2010 when Ohio State hosted Marshall on a Thursday night that Ohio State will kick off a season with a home night game. So I think, yeah, it's going to generate a lot of excitement. And I, I think uh, Columbus is going to be hopping that weekend. I think you know, even Friday night before, there's going to be, it's Labor Day weekend. A lot of people have a long weekend. So I think you're going to have a lot of people coming in from out of town to watch that game. And I just think there's going to be a ton of excitement for it. And one of those games that we always talk about, we know we're going to learn a ton from the season opener, but it's going to be on a different level in this game because, I mean, you could make the case that this could be the toughest game Ohio State will play all year during the regular season. I was looking at one of the early top 25s earlier from ESPN and Notre Dame was ranked sixth. And that's higher than any other team Ohio State will face during regular season. So this could be the toughest game Ohio State will face during a regular season. And so much like we saw what happened last year, 2014 is the perfect example of an early loss is not a death sentence. And so we're not going to say this is a quote must win game or anything like that. But we also saw last year about how when you lose that game earlier in the year, you have no margin for error the rest of the year. And so this is a game that you know you talk about right away, week one, there are going to be college football playoff implications in this game. And whoever wins this game is going to put itself right in that position right away early to be a front runner and make the playoff. And whoever loses that game is still going to be in the playoff conversation, but they're going to pretty much have to go perfect for the rest of the year. And then you mentioned the Notre Dame might be the, the, the toughest team Ohio State ends up playing in the regular season, but they, they did open as 13.5 point favorites over Notre Dame on FanDuel. What, what do you make of that spread? Is that a reasonable number right now? It's it, I had to look it up because I was like, is it was that not the same exact spread that Ohio State was favored by against Oregon last year? Because I knew it sounded familiar. I, that was a 14.5, a pretty similar there. I mean, we saw how that one played. And any thoughts or instant reactions kind of on that number there? Yeah, I think it's too high. I wouldn't bet on Ohio State at 13 and a half. Could Ohio State win by 14 or more? Sure. I mean, if you just look at the talent level of the two teams, I think Ohio State certainly is the more talented team. But that's a little rich to me. Because I think, you know, I remember going back to that Oregon game last year. Like, we saw the Minnesota game. Like, Ohio State clearly still had some issues on defense. And we're even at that point, CJ was going through growing pains early in the year. And I remember even like in our 11 Warriors Slack, everybody's, it's going to be a blowout. Like Ohio State is so much more talent than Oregon. And I think if you go into these games, especially early in the season, and the flaws haven't shown themselves yet, and I think people talk themselves into like, you know, that you just look at the rosters and you go, well, I mean, Ohio State's going to blow them out. There's no way Notre Dame's going to be able to, you know, keep up with them. And then the game actually happens, and it usually doesn't play out that way. So if I was going to pick right now, I would pick Ohio State to win, but I would pick it to be within 13 points. And some other uh, scheduling news here as things are, are kind of coming out. Uh, 
Ohio State against Wisconsin will be on ABC at a time to be determined. Uh, we found out the other day that the Michigan, the Michigan matchup will be on Fox at noon. No surprise there with the noon kickoff, of course. Um, no news yet on the Ohio State-Penn State matchup, but it seems from kind of reading the tea leaves a little bit that that might be a noon game, which of course is of note because we've seen obviously a lot of those night games there with the whiteout atmosphere and everything. Uh, some people might be disappointed if that's not the atmosphere in that matchup. Obviously, you can attest to the merits of that atmosphere. I have not experienced that yet. So you know, maybe that might impact uh, people's viewpoints on that to to some extent. But I think it'll probably be a, a pretty good atmosphere for that one regardless. Yeah, I don't think Ohio State would mind playing it at noon. I mean, <laughs> I don't think Ohio State would mind it being for whiteout being a little bit less intense than usual. So we'll see on that. I mean, that's all speculation. But I think if you just look at the way the networks do it, they basically do a draft of the Big Ten games. And Ohio State, Michigan, of course, that's always Fox gets the number one pick and they always take Ohio State, Michigan, because it's always gets the best ratings of the year. So that's pretty obvious. And then ESPN, Burke Magnus, their executive vice president of programming, he said today that yeah, that was their pick. The number two pick was Ohio State, Notre Dame. There was no way they were going to give that game up. And then obviously the fact that Ohio State, Wisconsin was already announced today tells you if that was one of ESPN's top picks as well. So you would think that most likely leaves Ohio State, Penn State to Fox, considering that was not included in ESPN's announcement today. And if it's on Fox, especially considering like it's been a lot of times for that game, it's that last weekend of October, which means it's in the middle of a World Series. It's almost certainly going to be a noon game if it's on Fox. So that's what I would anticipate if I was somebody. I mean, I guess we are going to be traveling there, but I, even if you're a fan, if you're listening, like if you're trying to make tentative travel plans, like I would probably anticipate a noon game is the most likely outcome, but we'll see. That is that is one of those games that I think it's, as a general observer, like that is one of those games you like to see it at night because it's just like the environment there is crazy. The whiteout uh, looks really cool at night. So I do from a general college football standpoint, it would be a bit of a letdown if that was a noon game. But like I said, I, I doubt Ohio State would mind. Then let's look ahead at some other lines here. We obviously discussed the Ohio State Notre Dame one there on FanDuel, but some of the other high profile matchups on the schedule for Ohio State this season. The FanDuel's got Ohio State favored by 16 against Wisconsin, favored by 21 against Iowa, favored by 13 at Penn State, and then favored by 14 at the Shoe against Michigan. Most noteworthy line there, Dan, or anything seem particularly askew out of those, obviously Ohio State, a 13-point favorite in, in all of those big-time matchups and on a schedule is a pretty difficult one compared to some for the Buckeyes this season. Yeah, I mean, I just think in general, like, they're all very generous to Ohio State. I mean, they're all 13-plus. I mean, I think any one of those games has the potential to be competitive. So, to me, I don't look at any of those lines and go, man, I want to bet on Ohio State right now. I mean, I don't necessarily want to bet against Ohio State in any of those games either because – I, I do think Ohio State, you know, should be the best team in the Big Ten. I think Ohio State should be able to win all of those games. But do I think Ohio State's going to cover all of those spreads? I would not pick that right now. I mean, how about you? Like, are there any of those lines that you look at, you'd feel good about betting it right now? Honestly, if I had to pick one, it might be even at Penn State, and I know that could account for some points. But the, but the Penn State game, just because for a few years there, it was. And is Penn State, is this a, a true rivalry with the games being so close through that one stretch and, and the games being so good as well? But, you know, recently, even though this past year's game was a single digit 
margin of victory, even at home for the Buckeyes. Penn State has not had a, a good past couple of two seasons here. And so if, if anything, if I'm if I had to pick one that I was most confident in, it might be Ohio State to beat Penn State by two touchdowns pretty much. Yeah, I think that's fair. I I, I feel like I still kind of have that feeling of just like Penn State game is always going to be tough, like just based on recent history. I do think that they're not quite where they were a couple of years ago, but at the same time, that's still one of those games, especially if it being the biggest road game. That's one where I'm still like, I'm like, I think 13 is a fair line there. Like, I think I'm not saying I think it's necessarily too high, but it's, I think it's, a, I think it's a good line. I think that line makes sense, but I, I, I don't think I'd feel good about betting Ohio State. I mean, honestly, like it's again, not that I think the line is too low. I, I actually think it might be a little higher than it should be. But honestly, if there was one that I was, probably be most inclined to bet on right now it'd probably be michigan just because you just gotta think ohio state playing that game at home after what happened last year i mean they're gonna be out for blood i mean they are they are not if they can control that game they are not gonna let off the gas pedal they're, they're gonna try to score maybe not hang 100 on them as ryan day said a couple of years ago but i think that if if they have a chance to to put up a ton of points in that game and really dominate that game that's what Ohio State's going to want to do. And so, again, that's what I look at. I think that's a good line. Uh, it's probably if I was going to pick right now, if I, I don't have the numbers for the two teams, but if I was going to predict that game right now, I would probably pick Ohio State to win by two touchdowns. So 14 to me is just about perfect there. But I don't know. That's the one that I almost feel the most confident in just because I just think, I just feel like after last year, uh, Ohio State is, is really going to have a point to prove in that game. Yeah, it's kind of funny, Dan, because you know, obviously on the Michigan side of things, I'm sure that people in the program and fans, of course, would like to think that last year's game kind of, you know, turned the tides uh, in the rivalry and maybe that they can, you know, rip off several games in a row here against the Buckeyes. But obviously the odds makers don't necessarily reciprocate that feeling in terms of at least the line, because of course, Ohio State is favored by a couple touchdowns there. Is there one that you feel least confident in, Dan, out of those ones? That's tough. I I, I feel like I would go with... Wisconsin. And I mean, I don't know how good Wisconsin's going to be, but you know, I do think they have a really good running back in Braylon Allen, who I think is going to put up a ton of yards this year. A lot of it's going to come down to Graham Mertz bounce back and look like the quarterback. He looked like he was going to be a few years ago, or is he going to continue to be the mediocre quarterback he's been for the last couple of years? So a lot of it comes down to that, but you know, you, you talk about a team that is consistently really good on defense. I mean, they actually gave up less yards per game than Georgia last year. So they were really good on defense. They did lose a lot of key players from that defense. So they, I'm not necessarily saying they're going to be as good on defense this year, but they're typically really good on defense. They typically have really good offensive lines. They're probably going to be one of the best running teams in the country. So when I see that 16 points, that's when I look at, I go, I'd probably pick it to be a little bit closer than 16 points. Not that I think, again, I think it's a good line, fair line. Cause I think if you had Ohio state as a 10 point favorite over Wisconsin, people are going to hammer that. I think 16 is a good line. If you're looking to get action on both sides there, but if I was going to pick one that like, I'd maybe lean more toward the opponent, but I would Ohio state, I'd, I'd probably go with Wisconsin. Yeah. I, I feel similarly there. And just with, with Wisconsin style of play and everything, could they make it kind of a, a lower scoring game? But then you got to think it's like, man, Ohio State, just with the passing offense that Ohio State possesses, even if Wisconsin can, you know, inflict kind of its will defensively, maybe on the Ohio State run game, can you, are you really going to be able to stop Ohio State from putting up numbers that pass attack with CJ Stroud? I, I don't know. I don't know if anyone's going to be able to 
to limit all that much. So, so that might swing things back in the other direction there as well. Taking a look at some of the early odds from Bet Online for the Big Ten in general, Bet Online has Ohio State as a two to one favorite to win the Big Ten, uh, minus 200 of those odds. The next best odds are Wisconsin at plus 1,000, 10 to one. So Bet Online has it pretty favorable that Ohio State's going to win the Big Ten after Wisconsin. They've got Michigan at plus 1,100, Penn State at plus 1,200, Nebraska plus 1,400, Iowa plus 2,000, Purdue and Michigan State both plus 2,500. So basically, if you think any other Big Ten team has a good shot of winning the conference this year, you should go bet on them because you're going to get good value on any other Big Ten team. I think the question is, I, I know this came up in our internally 11 Warriors we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, is even, again, if you're betting $200 to win 100 on Ohio State, is that good value? We think we know about Ohio State. Is that good value on Ohio State to win the Big Ten? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, people might be a little more scared. The, this, the run of dominance Ohio State had there for so many years, it seemed like such a foregone conclusion that Ohio State would win it all. That would make this you know conversation not even all that relevant in terms of that. But this year... A lot of people are, are, are talking about national championship when they're talking about Ohio State this season, anticipating kind of the defensive turnaround there, paired, of course, with the, the high-powered offense. But I think the way things unfolded last year may make people a little you know, more hesitant to see Ohio State as the clear dominant force in the Big Ten once again, because they, it was proven last year that Ohio State's not going to win it automatically every year. Yeah, I think... Two to one, I would say, you know, in terms of Ohio State being a favorite, I think that's really probably right where it should be. Like, I think that line makes a lot of sense because I, I do think Ohio State is the clear favorite. I don't know how good I'd feel about betting on it at two to one, but I think any lower, I think you'd be giving too much value if it was any lower because I, I do think Ohio State, in terms of talent, there's a clear difference between Ohio State and everybody else. And you got to think after last year of it, Ohio State is really going to want to get back to the top of a conference where it belongs. And so I, I am, I, I think those lines make a lot of sense. I am pretty confident that Ohio State should win the Big Ten this year. But of course, nothing's going to come easy because, I mean, we just talked about, I mean, all those games we just talked about are all games that Ohio State could lose. I mean, I'm not necessarily picking Ohio State to lose any of those games, but they're all games that Ohio State could lose. And, you know, to me, looking at those odds, I, I think the one that probably jumped out to me the most is where I would see the most value. Not that I think Michigan State is going to win the Big Ten, but I was surprised to see them at 25 to one. Like, I'm surprised to see them lower than Nebraska. Like, I would definitely pick Michigan State to be the better team this year than Nebraska, just based on the turnaround we saw from Michigan state last year and you know, what we've seen throughout Scott Frost tenure in Lincoln. And so that's kind of a team that I look at. We were asked by, Oh, pretty Ricky, who is one big team that doesn't get a lot of hype, but you think it surprised people. I don't know if Michigan state's really the best answer to that question, because I mean, a top team in the big 10 last year, and they are a team that I think a lot of people are well aware of, but just when I look at those odds for them to be only tied for the seventh best odds in the conference. To me, that's a little low. I mean, I know 
They're, they are losing Kenneth Walker, who, of course, was a stud for them last year. They've got some questions with their pass defense because that was a weakness for them last year. But, you know, they returned Peyton Forn. You know, they returned Jaden Reed, who's one of the top receivers in the Big Ten. And we saw last year, I mean, Mel Tucker was able to bring in a lot of transfers, piece a lot of things together. And, and put together a really good team. And so I think that's the team that I look at as maybe they're not getting enough love right now. Yeah, we asked, we wrote down here as well, which team would you be most inclined to kind of take a flyer on with the odds to win the Big Ten at, the, at that better than the 10 to 1 figures there? I'm certainly not feeling good about putting any money on Nebraska, let's be honest, plus 1400 there. Even Penn State for me at plus 1200, like, I don't know. I just don't. The, the last two seasons for Penn State, of course, it's still a very prestigious program and everything. And they certainly have the the you know capacity to turn things around in one year just based on the the talent they're able to bring in and, and everything like that. But I don't know. I feel like I still have to just going off of last year. And obviously they're losing a lot as well and, and important coaches as well off that staff. But Michigan, I feel like I would if, if I had to pick one of the I might have to, to put my money on Michigan uh, just based on what I saw last year. Yeah, I think that makes sense because, I mean, I think outside of Ohio State, I think Michigan will have the second best offense of the conference. I think with Cade McNamara coming back, J.J. McCarthy potentially getting in there as well. Um, Blake Corum, who I'm not saying is a Big Ten's best running back. I know PFF said that earlier this week, and Travion Henderson didn't care for that, but he is a talented running back, as is Donovan Edwards. They've got a lot of talented receivers, and none of them who were consistent stars last year, but most of whom are back and can make some plays. And so I think you'd expect to see some of those guys take a step forward this year. You know, Eric All is a good tight end. They did lose some key pieces on their offensive line, but I still think they'll be pretty good up front. They brought in a, a transfer center from Virginia. See if I could find his name, Olawatimi. I may or may not be pronouncing that right, but he was a Remington Trophy finalist last year. So I think Michigan's offense is going to be really good. I think their defense will take a step back from last year. I mean, obviously they lost Aiden Hodginson. They lost David Ojabo. They lost Chris Hinton, Josh Ross, Vincent Gray, Brad Hawkins. Just a lot of really key players from last year's defense. So I, I expect Michigan's defense to take a step back. I don't think they'll be as good on defense as they were last year, but I think their offense, maybe, I mean, I think it depends on the offensive line, but I think if the offensive line is good, I think their offense could potentially be better than it was last year. And so I'd probably agree. I think on paper, Michigan's probably the, the second best team in the Big Ten. I think I'd agree with Wisconsin having the better odds just based on the fact that I think they have a better chance of getting to the Big Ten championship game because I, I think they're more, a lot more likely to win the West than Michigan is to win the East. But I think that if Michigan can pull off the upset over Ohio State again, then uh, they, they're certainly it's certainly possible they could win the Big Ten again. And is there one uh, situation here that we're, we're overlooking a little bit? Because honestly, if we're if both of us aren't putting our, our entire salaries down at, on Rutgers at plus 20,000 to win the Big Ten, I mean, what are we really doing at this point? That's a tough one. That's a that's <laughs> a tough one right there. But, you know, but it, you know, it is I do think it's interesting just kind of looking at some of like the other potential sleepers. I feel like I'm always a little bit higher on Maryland than everybody else is. I still think they're a team. Again, I'm not picking them to win the Big Ten, but just in terms of a question we were asked about a team that could surprise some people. I mean, you look at Maryland, I mean, again, outside of Ohio State, I would probably take them to have the best passing offense in the Big Ten with, you know, Talia Tagovailoa coming back. They're loaded at receiver with Dante Demas, Rakeem Jarrett, and Jacob Copeland 
transferring in from Florida. Usually the Maryland's problem has been a lack of defense and that'll probably continue to be the case again this year. But, you know, they're one of those teams I look at, like they could upset somebody. They're going to be dangerous. They're probably more likely to get a big upset early in the year since it seems like they usually fade down the stretch. But again, I, I remember we talked about it before. That's one of those games I look at for Ohio State like that. Maryland game right before Michigan, I think back to 2018, like that's still one of those games I have circled on the calendar. If there's a trap game, if there's a a game that could maybe get a little more interesting than it should for Ohio State, Maryland's a team that I look at. I don't have huge expectations for Northwestern, but if you look at the pattern for Northwestern, it's usually one year down and one year up. So last year they were down. And so if, if the pattern continues, they should theoretically uh, be better this year. So do I think they're going to be a big 10 contender? No. Do I think they're going to be the second worst team in the big 10? Probably not. And hell then, I mean, after last season, can you really put it past Purdue to, to knock somebody off? You surprise anybody on one week. I think they have Penn state in uh, West Lafayette, like on that Thursday, just to start the season. I mean, that one for Penn state, that could be another early season, uh, potential early season upset loss that, that sends them down kind of a spiral. You can never count out the spoiler makers. That's an absolute fact. Yeah. You can never count out the spoiler makers. I mean, I, I know that they, they just lost Milton Wright, who was expected to be their number one receiver this year. They obviously lost David Bell too, but they won't have George Karloftis next year, but they do have Aiden O'Connell coming back. And you'd think with, with him coming back, Braum continuing to run that offense, you'd think they're still going to be pretty good uh, on offense. I mean, from a talent perspective, they're still on the lower end of the conference, but yeah, I'm, I, that's another one of those teams I'm, I'm never going to count them out because they've shown time and time again that they have a penchant for pulling off those wins that nobody expects. Then let's get into some miscellaneous news stuff here over the past week. Uh, one of them coming on Tuesday, the OHSAA voted to not allow Ohio high school athletes to profit from their NIL, of course, which seems a little bit strange because it's been pretty progressive, you know, in that, especially collegiate sports over the past year, we all know nine other states already have allowed their high school student athletes to profit from their NIL. What did you make of that? And was that a surprise to you to see that? And what does that kind of mean moving forward for Ohio high school athletes? That may be the first time I've ever heard OHSAA and progressive in the same sentence. But yeah, I'm honestly really not surprised because there, there seemed to be quite a bit of resistance to that. And I do think Ohio, not necessarily with NIL, but I think with a lot of with college NIL, I should say, but with a lot of things, I think Ohio tends to be a little bit behind the times on certain things. And so I, I think this is another example of that. I know one thing a lot of high school football players and coaches were, were bringing up on Twitter after the news broke on Tuesday is they weren't even reacting to that. They were saying, we want spring ball. We want seven on seven. And that's been a thing that's been a very popular complaint among Ohio football coaches and players in recent years is you have seven on seven and spring football has proliferated throughout the South. And I think I've heard this from college coaches that, you know, one of the reasons why they think Ohio isn't producing as much high level talent as it used to relative to the Southern states is because Ohio doesn't have spring ball. They don't have seven on seven. There's just not as many opportunities for the, the high school football players in Ohio 
to get out there and, you know, compete and develop a fair sport. And so I, I think in general, I think Ohio is behind the times a bit. I saw some people raise a point on Tuesday and I think it's fair, but if Ohio doesn't get off the times, are you going to see more guys go to IMG Academy type schools? Are you going to see more guys and the top players in Ohio want to go somewhere else where maybe they feel like they have a better opportunity to develop and prepare for the next level. And so I'm not shocked by it. I mean, I it, obviously the idea of high school athletes uh, making money off endorsement deals would have been pretty crazy a few years ago. And I think some of the no votes were not necessarily even opposition to the idea of high school athletes being able to make money off NIL, but to the proposed legislation, maybe athletic directors, whoever was voting on this didn't feel was clear enough. So I still think it's possible that in the future, we could see Ohio high school athletes be able to profit from their NIL. But when you consider that nine other states have already done it, I do think Ohio is a little bit you know, behind the times here. And then a couple of uh, former Buckeyes who transferred out of the programs in both football and basketball found new homes in the last few days. Noah Potter going to Cincinnati, staying in state. And then Justin Arns on the basketball side of things going a West coast out to, to Loyola, Mary thoughts on, on either of those landing spots, Dan, I think the Arns one particularly seems kind of, I don't know, a, a step, certainly a step down from Ohio state in terms of the, just the level of basketball perhaps, but any other big, you know, takeaways from either of those things for you? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I think it could be a good thing for Justin Arns because I think maybe going to that mid-major level enable him to really put his skill set on display in a way that he couldn't in the Big Ten. I mean, I think obviously if we're just going to be, you know, real about it, Justin was a little bit overmatched defensively playing in the Big Ten, going up against Big Ten athletes. He, you know, struggled on the defensive end of the floor. And that's a big reason why, you know, his playing time waned in his final season at Ohio State. But I think going to the mid-major level, he's a guy with his shooting ability. I could see him being a guy who puts up a lot of points in the West Coast Conference and is, is very dangerous as a three-point shooter. He's still a guy that obviously have a frustration some Ohio State fans had of him. Is he didn't really take a lot of two-point shots. I mean, he really just kind of shot threes. So there's some limitations to his game regardless of where he's playing. But I, I think he has the potential to thrive at a Loyola Marymount against that level of competition in a way that he couldn't in the Big Ten simply because his game was too limited to be a guy that was playing a ton of minutes in the Big Ten. And Seattle Lingo would like to know, Dan, could you give us a little inside scoop? Was it really just playing time that you know influenced Noah Potter's decision to leave Ohio State? Any, yeah, anything you've heard on that, that topic, Dan? Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to pretend to know all the details of why he decided to transfer, but I can say that I did talk to somebody close to him when he entered the transfer portal, and I know that they were they were disappointed that it, it did come to that. They had told me that he graded out as a champion for the spring. Obviously, anybody who watched the spring game saw he he performed well in that game, had a couple of sacks, and performed well in that game. And so I think there was... Uh, genuine hope and optimism from Noah Potter and those close to him that he was going to be able to break through and have a role this year. I, mean, I remember talking to him this spring and he felt based on his conversations with Larry Johnson that he was going to be able to have a role this year. But I think just when I look at the depth chart, like 
it was going to be tough for that role to be too big just because of the amount of defensive ends that they brought back. I mean, there's a reason why four defensive ends have transferred this offseason. And that's because Zach Harrison, Javante Jean Baptiste, and Tyler Friday are all back for another year, while JT Tuimolowau and Jack Sawyer are both expected to play major roles this year. And so you just had a really crowded depth chart at that position. And I think there was always bound to be some attrition from that position. And I don't think, I don't think any of the guys who left were a shock. I mean, I think out of those four guys who left between Noah Potter and Jacoby Cowan and Darren Henry Young and Carmonte Hamilton, that Noah's probably the one I would have thought had the best chance of contributing this year. But I think the reality for him is he's a fourth year guy. He feels like he should be on a field. He wants to be on a field and going somewhere else was going to give him the best opportunity to do that. And so I think going to Cincinnati, there's certainly going to be opportunities for him there. I won't be surprised just based on what we've seen from him. I mean, we've really only seen him in basically in spring games, but just based on what we've seen from him in limited action, I won't be surprised if he goes and whoever he's at Cincinnati for two years or three years, whatnot. I, I won't be surprised if, you know, he ends up being really productive there. And he, he has a blueprint for transferring and it working out well from his brother because his older brother, Micah, who played basketball at Ohio State, he went to Wisconsin, did well there. And I just saw a couple of days ago, I think he was named to the like G League all rookie team or something like that this year. So Micah Potter, a guy who was really just a role player at Ohio State, has gone on and done really well for himself after transferring. So I'm sure that factored into it too of, okay, fourth year at Ohio State, the, do I really want to stick around for another year where I'm probably not going to see much playing time or do I want to go somewhere else where I could play more this year? And I think, again, we weren't in the room for those conversations, but I think if you just look at, if you just look at the amount of transfers on defense that happened this year, I think it's pretty clear that there were some honest conversations that were had between the new defensive coaches and defensive players after the spring. And I'm sure there were a lot of guys who were told that if you stay, here's your role this year, we'd understand if you decide to go somewhere else and try to go play more. And I think you saw, particularly a defensive end in safety, you saw a bunch of guys who decided, I'm going to be better off going somewhere else than I am going to be on the log jam of a depth chart that we have here at Ohio State. And let's hit some other uh, basketball topics here, because with, with all the coming and going on the roster this offseason, there, there has been a lot, a lot of basketball. New two guys who are pursuing first round NBA draft selections will kind of start that process here with the NBA draft combine coming up over the next several days. Obviously, Malachi Branham and EJ Liddell. It'll be interesting because, you know, I think Malachi Branham has probably some questions to answer in terms of his defensive prowess in particular. EJ Liddell, he didn't honestly perform particularly great in, in last year's uh, G League Elite Camp event when he was trying to play that you know, more of a wing three position. But of course, he's had another year now to kind of kind of adjust to, to some of the feedback he was getting from NBA scouts at that time. It'll be interesting to see if he can kind of put together some better performances, particularly in those five-on-five scrimmages there at the Combine. You would think, though, that a guy like EJ Liddell, in terms of like testing numbers and stuff, with him being such a kind of a freak athlete at that his size, his ability to block all the shots, jump out of the gym and everything like that would, would lend itself to, to his kind of sensibilities. 
I, I don't know how you know tall he's going to end being when they do those kind of things. I forget what a, you know what a, what the, what the actual numbers were for him last year out of the elite camp kind of event. But yeah, I think those guys still have something to prove there. I think, and I think they can probably improve their stock a little bit if they're trying to kind of approach that the fringe lottery pick kind of uh, bubble there for both of those guys who are expected to go in kind of the middle or potentially later of the first round. Yeah, I do remember EJ performing well in that process last year. So yeah, I, I would think both of these guys would perform pretty well. I think Malachi is a guy that I think his game is going to translate well to the next level. So I'm certainly going to be interested. I think Thursday and Friday are when you know those scrimmages are going to be going on. I'll certainly be interested to watch if both those guys are playing, see how they uh, perform in that setting because I think this is a week for both those guys. If they have good weeks, they could they could really solidify themselves as first round picks this week. So uh, a big week for them certainly. Kyle Young announced that he will not be pursuing a pro basketball career, which you know kind of interesting. Obviously, he came back for, for Ohio State for another season. He dealt once again with those concussion issues that were kind of scary for him. That even last year that ended his ended his season in, in uh, 2020, 2021, obviously missed the last few games of that postseason run, had kind of the same issue going on this past season. And not even just the concussions, obviously all the other injuries he had with the you know, leg fracture and of ankle issues. And the, we heard that a lot of times he wasn't able to practice very much. He would be seen in walking boots a lot. Definitely an, an injury prone of an injury laden career for Kyle Young, of course, at Ohio State, especially with the concussion issue, Dan, I think maybe it's a smart move for him to not kind of uh, pursue that avenue further. Yeah, that was kind of what I always thought, especially after this last year when he suffered more concussions. I was kind of I always kind of felt like, man, like I, I kind of hope Kyle moves on from basketball just for his own health. I certainly wouldn't have uh, told him what to do, but. You know, I think it probably is in his best interest just with the unfortunate run of injuries that he's had. He's it's probably in his best interest to step away from basketball. And that, of course, I don't think we should just assume that was the only reason I haven't talked to him, but we shouldn't assume that was the only reason. I mean, he I mean, he just got his master's. And so he's going to have plenty of opportunities in terms of work. Whatever he decides to do, he's certainly going to have opportunities. So he doesn't have to play basketball to be successful in life. And I know he just had a kid as well. And so for considering that. He is a father now. He's got a family going to Europe or where, wherever he would end up going. That might not be as appealing to him considering that he does have a family and all that. And so probably was a smart decision for him, but certainly somebody I think Ohio State fans will, will miss watching because he was somebody, you know, he always gave uh, so much effort out. It was always a really fun player to watch. So who knows? Maybe we'll get a, get him back in a, a TBT. We've seen with Aaron Kraft the last couple of years. Maybe we'll be able to... Uh, see him one more time if he joins one of those TBT teams down the line. I'm sure the Buckeye fans would love that. And I wasn't here last week to talk about the transfer portal edition for Ohio State that rounded out the 13-man scholarship roster, of course. Isaac Likely coming over from Oklahoma State. A very interesting player, Dan. I'm sure you guys you know talked about him a little bit last week. Um, I, I had been previously told that Ohio State, after the addition of Sean McNeil, the guard out of West Virginia, that Ohio State was going to kind of move in a different direction, look for a more of a power forward type but you know, I was also subsequently told that the Buckeyes kind of changed course there because they kind of looked at their point guard situation. And this was the same conversation me and, and me and you had, actually, Dan, that we didn't know if the point guard position was really all that settled, even with the addition of a, of a couple transfer guards that were more like two guards, really, this offseason in Tanner Holden and Sean McNeil, because it puts a lot of pressure on Bruce Thornton coming in, highly touted freshman, of course, but 
you know, not, not a five-star number one player in the country type of guy necessarily. Who knows how he ends up developing. But now you bring in a guy in Isaac Likely. He's not quite a point guard. He's not really a wing. He, he does a lot of different things. He's going to be a jack of all trades. Uh, if you watch any highlights of him playing, he, he does handle the ball a lot on the outside, but he'll also go inside and, and post you up as well. I was told that he might even play power forward in a, like a, in a four guard lineup there for the Buckeyes as well, who are obviously going to play a little bit small once again, because now in terms of big men, you've got Zed key who is going to play a lot of minutes there, of course. But as we've seen with Zed key in the past, he, he doesn't always have the the body type to match up with big t- guys like Zach Eady for Purdue, for, which is going to mean that Felix Akpara coming in is like a six eleven guy, a freshman. He's going to see a lot of minutes too. So it's going to be the combination of those two guys down low. Some fans might be griping that once again, we've heard it the last several years about, you know, why, why can't Ohio state just have a, a real seven foot big to play real minutes in there. Joey Brunk did a little bit of that at, during a short window of this past season, but I definitely think he's going to be an interesting guy. And from what I've read about him, he might end up being a kind of a, of a fan favorite type of player for the Buckeyes. Although they might also, I, I'm already seeing it in the future, the forecast of, he, he doesn't really hit threes. I think he shot, what was it, like 18% from three last season? It was and two for 11. From yeah, two for, <laughs> yeah, so I have a feeling like sometimes, and especially in today's game, when there's a player that's playing guard that can't stretch the floor at all, that might create some groans, especially if and you can't stretch the floor and guys are kind of sagging off of you. But, you know, it remains to be seen exactly what he'll bring to the table. Sounds like he'll play a lot of different positions for the Buckeyes. Yeah, so a little bit of, you know, inside baseball magic of editing for the listeners out there your your last episode two weeks ago we had actually had a conversation in which you had said that you thought you still thought that they were going to get a big man and then literally right as we finished recording you you got a call from somebody who told you that they were actually going to be going in a different direction there. And so the magic of editing that conversation that we had recorded never actually made it uh onto the air because uh, by the time it would have published, we were already aware that Isaac likely was likely going to be joining Ohio State. And therefore, the, the conversation that we had about them pursuing a big man was no longer accurate or relevant. Yes. Yeah, so luckily, that didn't make it in there because it would have made me look stupid. Although both of those things were based on very legitimate conversations, <laughs> legitimate sources on those topics. So, but anyway, Dan, back on the football side of things as well. You already kind of alluded to it. Um, the the Travion Henderson kind of did he feel a little disrespected by the the Pro Football Focus tweet? I think Pro Football Focus though knew what they were doing when they put that graphic up of Blake Corum and said, "Is this the number one?" I'm running back in the Big Ten, knowing that it would drum up the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry a little bit in terms of people campaigning for Travion Henderson as that number one back in the Big Ten, of course. But that also dovetails with a question that we were asked from uh, Oh Pretty Ricky, who asked, who are the Big Ten's best running backs this year? He wanted five of those. There, there I've definitely got a few names to throw at you, Dan. Um, the Travion Henderson, of course, Blake Corum, Mohamed Ibrahim coming back as well. I obviously got injured in the beginning of last season. Braylon Allen, we talked about him for Wisconsin, a guy like Evan Hull for Northwestern, another thousand yard guy this past season. Any other names, Dan, that you would add to that kind of mix? Now, those are pretty much the names that I add. I mean, I think you you could get into the argument of, is Mayan Williams a top five back in the Big Ten? I think he might be. He's probably not going to have top five numbers, but you know, I think there's a case to be made there that he could be. I mean, same thing with Donovan Edwards at Michigan, those guys. They're not going to be starting running backs. They're probably not going to put up the huge numbers, but in terms of how they impact a the game, you know, I think it's certainly possible 
that five or one of those guys could factor into that top five. But I think to me, I'll do my uh, preseason all big 10 team in July, as I always do. But if I was picking the two running backs for that team right now, I would go with Travion Henderson and I would go with Braylon Allen because both of those guys, they actually both averaged, according to CFB stats, they actually both averaged exactly 6.82 yards per carry last season. Both of them, almost identical stats for those two guys as freshmen. And you know, you would think that they're only going to build on that. So if I, if I was picking any running back in my for my team out of a Big Ten right now, I would take Travion Henderson. We saw his special talent last year. I think he's going to be able to build on that. And then Braylon Allen, but he's a guy who really came along in the second half of the year for Wisconsin last year. Just a big a uh, tough, but also explosive runner. You think that Wisconsin offense. I mean, he's a guy that if he put up 2000 yards this year, it wouldn't shock me because they're going to run the ball a lot. He's going to get a ton of carries. And so those would be the two guys for me in terms of who I think the best running backs are in a big 10 right now. I, I would take a Travion Henderson and Braylon Allen. And then I'd probably put Blake Corum third. Then let's close things out with an interesting question posed by our very own Bruce Thomas over the weekend which I think is we could probably talk for a long time about this or, or do a quick hitter on the topic as well. But, you know, the question was, who is Ohio State's most exciting quarterback of the last 20 years? Obviously, there's a lot of different possible answers there because the quarterback position in Ohio State is, has never been more exciting, I would probably argue there. I think most of our readers ended up answering Braxton Miller when we put it up as a poll on the site. I would have to agree with that because, Dan, I'll, I'll tell you, when I, I lived through it, of course, and watched all the games and everything at the time, but I'll sometimes stumble across a little highlight clip or something like that of a Braxton Miller run, a quarterback run in, in one of these Big Ten games from, from that era. And I'll go, damn, I, I did not even, I didn't even remember that run exactly, like how just the, the stopping and starting and the, the quick cutting, his ability to bust off a 60-yard touchdown run in a big game to go along with his arm, obviously, as well. That unpredictability and, and excitability I, I, that I would have to put my, my, my money on that answer as well, personally? Yeah, for me, the answer is Braxton. That's the answer that immediately came to mind to me. I mean, there's a lot of guys you could go with. I mean, Justin Fields was certainly really exciting to watch. I mean, Troy Smith won a Heisman Trophy. You know, Terrell Pryor, obviously he had his issues, but when he played, I mean, he was a guy with his speed, his arm. He was a lot of fun to watch. I mean, Dwayne Haskins broke all of Ohio State's single season records. I mean, CJ Stroud might break all the records this year. So if we have this conversation a year from now, he might factor into the conversation even more prominently than he already does. But if we're just talking about most exciting, to me, that's that you got to go with Braxton. Just his ability, the kind of plays he could make. He was such a unique player. Again, I don't know that I'd say he was the best Ohio State quarterback of the last 20 years. I wouldn't say that. I might put him fifth or sixth if I'm just going best. But just in terms of that ability to just do things that made your jaw drop, just those wow kind of plays, I don't think Ohio State's ever had a more exciting quarterback to watch. So I got to go with Braxton. Yeah, I think, you know, in football, when you talk about exciting quarterbacks, like the, the dual threat aspect is very much a part of that. That's why a, a guy like Mike is so beloved, you know, in terms of his playing style and, and being, you know, as, as exciting as he is. A guy like Lamar Jackson, like it's such a unique thing to see a quarterback that can that can make plays like that on the ground. And I think that's what kind of tips the scales for him. We're talking about, you know, Justin Fields as well. He had the potential to, to, to make those plays. He didn't make, you know, as many of them as Braxton Miller. Um, but yeah, that's, that, that's who I'm rolling with as well, Dan. Well, thanks again to everyone for listening in to this week's episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. 
as we uh, continue to get through this off season here. And we'll be back with you next week to talk about uh, everything that happens between now and then. And if you have uh, anything you want to hear us talk about, uh, let us know. So thanks as always for listening in and we'll catch up with you again soon.